You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. Three verses 12 through 17 from the Common English Bible. Therefore, as God's choice, holy and loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Be tolerant with each other, and if someone has a complaint against anyone, forgive each other. As the Lord forgave you, so also forgive each other. And over all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. The peace of Christ must control your hearts, a peace into which you were called in one body, and be thankful, people. The word of Christ must live in you richly. Teach and warn each other with all wisdom by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Whatever you do, whether in speech or action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. The word of God for the people of God. We, we are continuing our year-long deep dive into Scripture from Genesis to the end in Revelation, which is really a new beginning, but, but we'll catch that later around August. And we're using Brian McLaren's book, We Make the Road by Walking. Today, we're at chapter 36, what he calls the uprising of worship. And our text from the letter to the Colossians is the one he uses in this chapter. Pray with me. Gracious God, cleanse my heart, my mind, and my lips as you cleanse the lips of the prophet Isaiah with your burning coal, that I may preach your good news and not mine, and that your people may hear your words in spite of my failings. Amen. We're a needy people. We need our crutches. We need our addictions. We need our habits, our feel-good practices. Each one of us has a need. Each one of us in our past lives may have filled that need or in our present lives filled that need with alcohol, with gambling, with spending money, with using our bodies in the wrong ways. We're doing those things to fill needs, what we believe are needs. It was true in the past as well. It was true in Rome when this letter was written. There, the primary thought was of social position and the power that came with it. Rome was a caste society, and shame was the greatest disaster you could suffer. Indeed, that's been constant through humankind. 
You can see it in the ancient civilizations. You see it in Rome, certainly in Western Europe through the fall of Rome and the Middle Ages and the Renaissance and the Reformation and our modern age. It's the same needs again and again. The need of power or prestige or privilege. It's a need that comes from scarcity. I uh, learned that when I went to a um, all-you-could-eat buffet. You've all been there. And I went through, and it's kind of funny. When you go through, it's an all-you-eat buffet, but you fill your plate. You, know, you put it real high. And I took my plate. I was with a group of seminarians in this case. And I took my plate, and I put it at our table. And, of course, when you've got your plate filled, you've got to go get the salad, right? And it's a, I went back. I put my plate down and go to get my salad. And what did I say? Watch my plate. Watch my plate? It's an all-you-can-eat buffet. Who's going to steal my plate? It came from a fear of scarcity. Our society is built on that fear of scarcity. I would argue that every one of those societies that we've had, Rome and everything in between, runs on scarcity. A king has power or a queen has power because they can give out scarce things like power and authority and wealth. Uh, for those of you in the federal government here, if you like myself, worked in it, do you remember the plum book? Have you, anybody heard of the plum book? It's called the plum book because it's a plum color. And in it, it lists all 1,200 presidential appointments. You know, like assistant postmasters and, and deputy assistant people in charge of paper clips and all that. The plum book. It's the political spoils. Power, scarcity, needs. Do you remember the feeling you had when at the beginning of COVID pandemic there were empty shelves? You were feeling the power of scarcity in this society. The greatest fear I would submit is the scarcity of respect. The cousin the first cousin to privilege. When I went to the stores and found the shelves empty, my first thought was, wait a minute. I'm in the wealthiest country in the world, and I've got the means and the wealth. Do you remember the, I guess, the, the movie... Um, uh, Spaceballs, and there's a scene in there where the princess is is um, being attacked. You know, the first time she's she's captured, and she says, "I don't have to put up with this. My daddy's rich." Yeah, scarcity. And our greatest fear that scarcity of respect and the loss of privilege. Thoreau has told us that most people lead lives of quiet desperation. And I suggest it's our fear that does that. Our need to be respected. And, and have you noticed that our needs are in relationships? The hierarchy, then and now, where do we fit? Feeding our sense of privilege, feeding into our demands. And you really want to get a feeling for that. When you act in your Christian capacity to help the needy and they make some more demands on you, 
and you meet them and they're still needy and you, and you keep trying to meet them. And, and finally, if you're like me, you get angry because you've got needs too. Need maybe to be recognized or to be even left alone. Feeding our demands, serving the needy can expose ourselves to our needs. And with that, I want to turn to this concept that a Jewish philosopher gave us, Martin Buber, one of great Jewish philosophers, one of the great philosophers of the 20th century. He talked about the I-it and the I-thou relationship. And what I've been talking about is the I-it. If you are an it to me, you can fulfill my needs. My needs to be recognized, my needs right now to be listened to. Or the I-thou. Can I meet your needs and can you meet mine? And that's the way it was then when this letter was written in the Roman times. McLaren puts this letter to the Colossians into our post-Easter time and into one of what he calls the uprising, the uprising of worship, because this letter would have been read in the context of a Christian gathering and a worshiping. You see, the Colossians were newbies to Christianity. They had come out of, most of them were Gentiles from what we hear of that area. They had come out of a Roman concept of privilege, class, and they had now entered into a Christian concept of no Jew, no Gentile, no man, no woman, no slave, no master. This was huge. This was a huge change. And they're newbies to it. And they went into the practice and they began to develop things that they thought would make Christianity easier for them. And we can get from the, this letter that what they were doing here was they were looking for other rituals and rites and maybe other parts of religions that they knew if they would adopt would be easier to be Christians. And Paul is, is, is answering that. He, he's saying, no, no, no easy way. Simple way, but no easy way. What you're doing is not Christianity. You see, you see they, they were developing their version of a self-help book. Um, I don't know about you all, but I went through a serious period in my life where I thought if I only could get the right book and read the right chapters, then I'd be okay. Remember the book, I'm okay, you're okay? But self-help, and that's what they were doing. So they were doing certain aesthetic practices and rituals to define an easy Christianity that was centered on a belief. And the problem is that leads to an elite. You, you see, if you have all the answers and that easy way to do Christianity, then you've got the secret and somebody else doesn't. Who's in and who's out? Who has all the answers and justified in what they do? And that's not Christianity. And Paul knows that. And our letter responds by articulating in simple terms what it means to be a Christian. And when you get a chance to read and reread this little section we have, every one of these words and practices comes from the Gospels. Put on compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These portray the acts and words of Christ. 
What we have here is a how-to for the early church. What it does is distill the Gospels, distill the good news of how to have a relationship. Love each other as I have loved you. And Paul is trying to lay out how to do that. It's, it's a variation of what they call the two ways. Actually, Psalm number one lays it out. There's the good way and there's the bad way. And what Paul does here is give us the good way to move from the Roman way to Christ's way, from scarcity into plenty. And the words, these are words of repentance to change, to forgive. And what happens when you repent and forgive? You change. It's a how-to, by the way, for today. We're made of the same clay. I will suspect that if we could lay every sin every Roman did on, in a straight line, we would be able to match them one for one. We might have different tools, but we could match them. Like the Romans, we fear scarcity. The means may have been different, but the ends are the same. The same violence of unmet needs. You see, the issue was getting peace with justice, and Rome didn't do that. The Pax Romana was anything but just. And the peace of many oligarchs or authoritarians is their peace, but without a justice. You see, the peace is only for the haves, those with the money and power. But this letter, as the Gospels are talking about a different peace, we have the answer, compassion. It's the first one that, that's mentioned here, compassion. And it's the source of everything else that follows. We've got kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. All of this leading one to be, and the word used, tolerant. The lesson is simple. Can we put up with each other? Can we tolerate each other? And this leads to forgiveness. As the Lord forgive you, so also forgive each other. That's the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer. To lead to love and settling in the peace of Christ and in thankfulness. That's where we go when we're with peace and justice and in community and with each other. Thankfulness. And with that, we can then teach and warn others. Here's an example of teaching and warning that today's scripture speaks to. In a series of sermons and radio addresses, Archbishop Oscar Romero, who died in 1980, a martyr, Oscar Romero of El Salvador called the people of his church and his nation to return to gospel values. And this is what he said, to use justice and love to end violence. I'm quoting him now. I will not tire of declaring that if we really want an effective end to violence, we must remove the violence that lies at the root of all violence. Structural violence, social injustice, exclusion of citizens from the management of the country, repression, all this is what constitutes the primal cause from which the rest flows naturally. When the church decries revolutionary violence, it cannot forget that institutionalized violence also exists and that despite desperate violence of oppressed persons is not overcome with one-sided laws, with weapons, or with superior force. As long as there is no greater justice among us, there will always be outbreaks of revolution. And then reminding his listeners 
of the commandment to love our neighbors as ourselves, he preaches. If there were love of neighbor, there would be no terrorism, no repression, no selfishness, none of such cruel inequalities in society, no abductions, no crimes. Love sums up the law. Not only that, it gives a Christian meaning to all human relations. Love gives plenitude to all human duties, and without love, justice is only the sword. And that's what Paul is showing us, how to act with each other. Now, it's hard to do. We need God, and we need each other. The community, as the Archbishop was speaking of, and as our own experiences are, the community can be the source of injustice and pain and repression and pride and sin. The community can also be the source of our finding Christ's peace. It's what Reverend Nadia Boltz-Weber calls the rough edges that each of us have. The only way I'm going to get rid of my rough edges is rubbing up against yours. And that takes tolerance. That takes each other. That takes a willingness of each of us to give the other some breathing room, some mercy, some grace. The rough edges. And waking up to those rough edges, waking up to not just to each other, the I and thou, but waking up to making those connections with each other. We have to try. Those connections have to go both ways. We need each other. Let's recognize our neediness. Let's recognize our rough edges. Let's work those rough edges together and with the grace of God, get the connection that is community, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen.